And please open your Bibles and turn to Mark chapter 12, verses 28 to 34. Help us to um, listen carefully. This is God's word. One of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating. Noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer, he asked him, Of all the commandments, which is the most important? The most important one, answered Jesus, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this, love your neighbour as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. Well said, teacher, the man replied. You are right in saying that God is one and that there is no other but him. To love him with all your heart, with all your understanding, with all your strength, and to love your neighbour as yourself is more important than all burnt offerings and sacrifices. When Jesus saw that he had answered wisely, he said to him, You are not far from the kingdom of God. And from then on, no one dared ask him any more questions. This is God's word. Thank you, Gillian, very much indeed. Good morning, everybody. We had been hoping to hold our annual vision day straight after the service today, but um, given the number of students who are either stuck in their home countries or in quarantine down here, and we also know that Faye's not with us and she's unwell, we've decided to actually defer vision day for a couple of weeks and we'll keep you posted with the new date when it's clear uh, who's going to be here. But uh, for now, won't you please have your Bible open at the passage that uh, Gillian read for us? And as we begin, I'm going to, I'm going to pray. <coughs> Our gracious God, we thank you for giving us a clear and a living word. We pray that you would help us according to our need, uh, that you would remove the barriers that prevent us from hearing, from trusting and obeying. We do ask that your word to us this morning would do us good and would cause us to honour you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I think that our passage this morning uh, puts everything into perspective. Um, So if you're anxious today or uh, confused or perhaps feeling a little foolish for some reason, this is a passage that answers the question, what is it that really matters? During the last year, all of us have experienced a certain amount of ease and uncertainty. Um, Some of the things that we 
considered to be really important in our lives have been taken away. And that's been hard. So this morning I think it's good to be thinking about what really matters. And uh, here in chapter 12, Jesus is asked the question, effectively, what does God want from me most? Uh, If we sweep everything away, everything that is secondary and insignificant and distracting, what is it that really matters? And Jesus says it's a loving relationship with God and a loving relationship with your neighbour. Now that's a very easy thing to say, but it's not quite so easy to understand. So, in case you're with us for the first time, the context here is that we're just a few days away from the crucifixion of Jesus in Mark's account. Uh, Jesus is in the temple. He's surrounded by religious leaders who are all against him. Uh, They're bombarding him with hostile questions. And uh, our passage this morning contains the fourth of these questions. The questions are all designed to corner him and to trap him, ultimately to destroy him. And this is actually the last public question that Jesus is asked in the Gospel of Mark before his trial. And then when he answers it in verse 34, we're told no one dared ask him any more questions. I rather love that. It's, it's a bit like, if you ever watch The West Wing, It's a bit like those White House press briefings. There's the press secretary facing a room full of hostile journalists and they're demanding fantastic answers to their most difficult questions and uh, their hands are going up, they're shouting over one another, what about my question? And uh, here you've got Jesus uh, with a very hostile, very intelligent group of people and his answers are so astonishing that when he's finished they... They bow their heads, they can't think of anything else to say. We have no more questions. I think perhaps the man's question in verse 28 is a little friendlier than the questions that have gone before. Perhaps God is at work in this man's heart, uh, causing him to want to take Jesus more seriously. We can't be sure of that, but I think it's possible. And he asks the question... Of all the commandments, which is the most important? It's a very good question, actually. Uh, It was a hotly debated topic in those days because the rabbis reckoned that in the Old Testament there were no fewer than 613 commandments. So it's entirely natural to want to know, well, what's the most important? So, by the way, this man is not asking which is the first commandment in the ten. He's not asking that question. Most Christians today, I think, know the answer to that. No, he's saying, what is God's top priority? If you boil down everything God says to us in the Old Testament, what comes out on top? Give me the bottom line, Jesus. And I think today, in the COVID world, people are asking the same question. What really matters in life? Uh, I thought I knew. But the Covid crisis has shown me that perhaps I've got it wrong. Well, Jesus answers the question, and I've got just two points for you this morning. The first is, he tells us what God wants. 
and then second he shows us where to find it. So firstly, what God wants. Jesus has been asked this question, then verses 29 to 31 he gives us the answer. The most important commandment, answered Jesus, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. And the second is this. Love your neighbour as yourself. There's no commandment greater than these. So in very simple terms, when Jesus is asked, What is the most important command? The reply is, love God, love your neighbour. And many people at that point would say, well, that's excellent. They'd be perfectly satisfied with that answer. It sounds so wonderfully inclusive, doesn't it? They might not particularly like the reference to God. They They may say, no, we can dispense with that. That's unnecessary. Uh, In a recent survey in the UK, most people said they'd be quite happy to see the first four of the Ten Commandments removed. They think we don't need them. All we need are the last six, which deal with how we are to be with other people. I guess many people in South Africa would say that what Jesus says here is absolutely fine. Love God, love your neighbour, it's all about love. Today's Valentine's Day, tremendous. I don't have any problem with that. But I want you to notice that's not how Jesus begins. He doesn't actually begin with a command at all. He begins with information about God. Uh, You might remember that on one occasion Jesus was approached by some religious types and they said, what do we need to do to do the work of God? And Jesus said, you need to believe me. And I think what's happening here is it's a bit like someone saying, "Um, I want to write a check to God, how much should I give? And the answer comes back, no, please don't. Because God wants you to read the check he's written out for you. That's the first thing. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. So you see, what Jesus is doing is he's saying, "Um, I don't expect you to love God or your neighbour until you know who we're talking about. And Jesus begins with a quote from Deuteronomy chapter 6 which is all about Jesus making and then saving his people. And it's as if Jesus is saying, look, before I tell you anything about loving God, I want to tell you about God loving you. So notice, will you, that Jesus says this is all about the Lord. That means he's unique. He's the God who made the world, who plans salvation and provides for everybody. He is the Lord. Then in verse 29 we read he's not only unique, he's also relational. Hear, O Israel, the Lord, our God. He's our God, verse 29. He's the God who makes a covenant with us, who initiates it because we don't, 
and who secures it because we can't. And he does it at tremendous cost to himself and on the face of it there's very little in the deal for him. And then we read in verse 29 that he is one. Now of course we believe that God is Father, Son and Holy Spirit. Three persons but one God. And what Jesus is saying here is you don't need another one. There is only one God and he deals with everything. There isn't a higher authority in any compartment of your life. Not in your marriage, not in your health, uh, not in your career, not in your studies. You just have one God, he's in charge, he covers everything. And he is for you. And therefore, if you give him your mind and your heart and your soul and your strength, you are honouring him because he's the only God and he will watch over every single area of your life. So before Jesus talks about commandments, which is what he's been asked about, Jesus says, no, I'm going to give you first the news about God, who he is, what he's done. And I want you to see, therefore, that verse 29 contains an ocean of vital truth. Who is God, before you think about what he commands? What he's done, before you think about what he wants? And if I was talking to a person who wasn't a believer, I would want to be able to say to him, before I tell you anything about what God wants you to do, I want to tell you about who he is and what he's done. And by God's grace, that might just cause that person to think or even to say, well, if that's the case, I want to know more. Did you notice that the very first word that Jesus uses is the word hear or listen? And uh, that word comes first because when you've heard about the privileges, you'll respond in the right way. I think one of the greatest challenges facing the church today is that we don't have the megaphone that we would love to have in order to address the world with our message. The world has got an excellent megaphone for foolishness and lies and it listens to them constantly but we don't have the same kind of megaphone for the word of God. So one of the great difficulties we've got with the world is that the world hears the church moralising. So they think that all we're talking about is a marriage issue or an abortion issue or a gender issue or a race issue. And, of course, the world is so terribly busy that uh, it's not listening. And the church doesn't seem to be able to speak in such a way as to make itself properly heard. So we've got this terrible communication breakdown because the world thinks we're talking about morality when, in fact, we're talking about gospel. Again, in another recent survey, 49% of the world thinks religion does more harm than good. <coughs> Excuse me. And in some Western countries, that figure is much higher than that. But who's listening to what Jesus really says? 
which is that the message is a message of grace, not duty. It's actually a message of privilege. And it's only when we know about God's initiative that the response Jesus describes here actually makes any sense. You know, we're not asked to invent the relationship. We're not not asked to start the relationship with God. No, we're simply asked to respond to what God has done. To accept it and to deepen it. And I think the wonderful thing is that when the love of God is heard and received, it actually changes our hearts so that we respond. It's as if the grace of God comes down and transforms us, so we do begin in an imperfect but very real way to respond in love back to God. I hope you remember that as a church before Christmas, we read a little book called Love came down at Christmas. It was a series of short chapters on the most famous passage in the entire Bible on love, 1 Corinthians 13. And of course it's good to be thinking about love at Christmas. But it is terribly easy, isn't it, to read 1 Corinthians 13 in a very superficial way and get super excited about the way that Paul describes love as being patient and kind and not envying or boasting or being proud or rude or any of those other things. And all the time, to miss the whole point, which is that by nature we're not like that. You know, the Corinthians weren't like that. I'm not like that. You're not like that by nature. None of us are. And just as the Corinthian Christians needed a change of heart, so you and I need a change of heart. But the problem is, who can change a heart that is utterly self-absorbed? Well, we're going to need someone whose heart is utterly self-sacrificing, aren't we? And by the grace of God, somebody has come into the world who is utterly self-sacrificing and who died on the cross so that we might actually be made new with a new heart. Now that's the point, isn't it? Once the love of Christ is received, the (coughs) the heart is changed. And that's why Jesus goes on in verse 31 to say, and you're also to love your neighbour. <clears throat> Did you notice in the reading? Notice this, very important. Jesus wasn't actually asked to give two commands, was he? He was asked to give one command. What's the most important? But he replies with two. To love God and to love neighbour. And that's because, you see, love for God creates love for neighbour. And that's why when you become a new person in Christ, you actually begin to love the people of Christ. Uh, Before you are converted, before you are converted, uh, you don't love the people of Christ. The truth is, you think mostly they're pretty irrelevant and even rather irritating. But when you become a new person... That changes. And uh, the people of Christ are never necessarily uh, perfect or easy, but 
but you do find you've got a new love for them that you didn't have before. This week I made a rather interesting discovery, which I didn't know before, which is that there's absolutely no evidence that before Jesus spoke the words in this passage, that these two commands, love for God, love for neighbour, had ever been brought together before. There is no evidence of that. So what Jesus says here was absolutely revolutionary at the time. Nobody had ever had those two things put together. And when we respond to God, we begin to respond to his people and to the lost with a new heart. And why is that? Well, it's because the cross has got a vertical beam and it's got a horizontal beam, hasn't it? Love God, love neighbour. Now, of course, I know that human relationships can be very loving without Christ. That's true. But you can't have supernatural relationships without Christ. You can't have spirit-indwelt relationships without Christ. Now, what does it actually mean if we're going to love God? And we could easily spend a great deal of time on this and get utterly bogged down in the detail, and we're not going to do that this morning. Instead, let me just suggest to you three very simple applications. First, if we're going to love God with heart, soul, mind and strength, I think it means that you cannot be too grateful you're going to find yourself responding so gratefully for everything God has done for you. That's the first application. Second, I think it means that you can't be too open with him. There's not going to be any area of your life that you need to hide from him because you're either ashamed or afraid. Because the love of God is so special that you'll be able to open up with confidence that he already knows about it and he already understands about it and he's just waiting to pour out more of his healing and his grace. And then application number three is that it means you can't be too responsive to God. And what I mean by that is that you'll find yourself at the beginning of each day saying something like this, Lord, take my life and use it today. Take my heart and my mind and my soul and my strength. Use me today. And I think that's something of what it means to love God in the way that Jesus talks about here. What does it mean to love your neighbour as yourself? Well, it doesn't necessarily mean that you'll find your neighbour particularly easy or even likeable. But you see, because you do know how to take care of yourself, I mean, after all, we spend a great deal of time, don't we, thinking about ourselves, that will actually start naturally to spill over into the way that you think about your neighbour. And you start thinking about what might benefit them and be good for them. And you'll find that you're genuinely concerned for their welfare. So, have you got the picture? Really important to have the big picture here. Jesus gets a question which is actually all about duty and he answers with gospel 
It's as if a man comes to Jesus and says, Jesus, tell me what God wants me to do. And instead Jesus says, I'll tell you what God has got for you as a free gift. So what does God want with you? He wants a relationship. Second, where to find it? Verses 32 to 34. So Jesus answers the man's question. Uh, He's very impressed, this man, and in effect, he says to Jesus, uh, that's a terrific answer, well done. I mean, it's rather patronising, isn't it? I agree that loving God, loving neighbour, that's exactly what God is looking for. But then he does go on and says something quite remarkable. He says, these things are more important than all burnt offerings and sacrifices. They're actually more important than the entire sacrificial system, is what he's saying. Now, will you remember where this teacher of the law is when he says that? Uh, He's standing in the temple, and uh, that's the temple courtyard, of course, and there are sacrifices going on all over the place. Uh, The smell of barbecued meat would be in everybody's nostrils. And you see, that is the setting in which this man says, Jesus, you've actually put your finger on a a, a relationship that is bigger and better than all formal religion. And he's absolutely right. So, think about our situation. Take away this building, which we're very grateful for, Take away the order of service, which we're very grateful for. And walk out into your garden or your backyard or into the street on a dark night with no stars and no moon and look up into the sky and remember that there is the living God and there is you. And when you think about everything that he's done for you, you know what really matters. You do. It is that you know him and you belong to him, that you've come to him through the Lord Jesus and that you are going to belong to him forever. Now you see, when you think like that, by comparison, everything else your plans, your career, your best clothes, all your achievements, all of that kind of pales into insignificance, doesn't it, by comparison? Because you've got an eternal and unbreakable relationship with the one true God. And you see, this teacher of the law talking to Jesus, he's beginning to get it. And Jesus replies and says to him, You're not far from the kingdom. Now, think about that. Again, Jesus says this to him in the temple. And you would think, wouldn't you, that just by being in the temple, that this man was spiritually safe. And you would think that because he knows his Old Testament, which he does, that that too would make him spiritually safe. And yet Jesus says to him, You're not far from the kingdom. Now we need to think about that. You know, I I know you know that it's uh, possible for a secular person to be miles and miles from God, a long way from God. 
But what we're learning here is that it's also possible to be a religious person and to be a long way from God. It's possible to be part of a local church, turning up week after week, going through the motions, and yet never entering into a heart-to-heart relationship with God. I think I've said before that uh, if a landlord has some tenants, and uh, one of them is neat and tidy, and uh, the other one just trashes the place, but neither of them pays the rent, neither of them responds to the landlord's emails, neither of them returns the landlord's phone calls, which one should the landlord evict? And the answer is he should evict both of them. Because the issue is not whether you're tidy or untidy. In that illustration, the issue is, are you responding to the landlord, yes or no? And uh, in the same way, people today will say, many of them, well, I'm a tidy person. I'm a tidy person. I'm a good person. What more could God possibly want? Well, the answer is that he's looking for a relationship. And he wants you to take his word seriously. He wants you to call out to him. He wants you to believe and to belong. And not just live in this world and shut him out of your life. And this man, you see, has just come to see that the heart is the key. God has poured out his heart for us and we are to give our heart to him because he's not interested in dead religion. He's not interested in empty religion. He's not interested in pious rules. Now, as I said last week, He's like a groom at a wedding calling out, I will. And we're like the bride at the wedding calling back, I will. And that's what God is looking for from you and from me. And yet, this very, very sincere man, Jesus says, you're not far from the kingdom of God. Yes, you can see what's important, but you don't have it yet. And I think that's a very striking statement in the context because there is this religious man standing in the temple right next to the king of kings. But he doesn't yet belong to the king of kings. And so when Jesus says, you're not far off, He's not being unkind, he's not being harsh, he's not being judgmental, he's not saying you're not good enough for God. He's actually saying to this man, you're so close, and I just long for you to come across. And equally, Jesus is not going to mislead this man just to keep the peace. This man is still outside the kingdom, And Jesus is not going to say, don't worry, you're a marvellous chap, it's going to be absolutely fine in the end. Because Jesus wants him inside the kingdom. He wants this man to come to himself. And that's the way for anybody, the only way for anybody to enter the kingdom. You've got to come to Christ. What do you actually do to enter the kingdom? 
bit of revision. I wonder if anybody here could answer that question. I hope you could. It's all the way back in Mark chapter 1, where Jesus says, the kingdom of God is at hand, repent, turn round, and believe the good news. Repent means that you turn, you turn to Jesus. So that you're not against him, you're not running away from him. You're not blocking your ears and saying, don't tell me anything I don't want to know. No, you turn around and you listen here, O Israel. And you say to Jesus, I want to go in your direction and I'm going to drop anything that stops me having a relationship with you and I'm going to drop it now. That's repenting. You're going to be my king. You're going to be my saviour from now on. And the phrase, believe the good news, what does that mean? Well, it it means that there is a saviour. A saviour who can solve all the problems of your past and can take hold of you in the present and carry you forward into the future. That means there is a pardon and there is a welcome and there is a place for you. And you see, that's all that really matters. And can I say that in the COVID world, people need to hear this. So Jesus talks to a man and in just seven verses he turns the conversation from rules to relationship, from duty to grace because nothing is more important to him and he says to the person who's lost repent and believe the good news and he says to the person who is seeking you're not far off and he says to the person who trusts him welcome home let's pray just thank you and praise you for this window into the character of the Lord Jesus. Because we see in this window somebody who desires relationship. We don't deserve it, but it's been wonderfully provided for us. And we ask that you would receive our thanks this morning because you initiated it. And you've called us to respond And so we pray, Heavenly Father, that all who hear this call today would respond and would enjoy and embrace the King of Kings and find a rich welcome in your everlasting kingdom. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.